Praise the Lord. Good to see everyone today. God's here. Amen. That's all we need to know at this point in time. God's here. Amen. And that excites me. It really does. Amen. Uh, we're going to do something just a little bit different today. Uh, I was speaking with Sister Karina before service. She uh, she needs a healing touch, so uh, we want to we want to bring her up if if you're not too embarrassed to do that, Sister Karina. And uh, we're going to pray for her. Amen. Um, while she's coming, <coughs> Amen. You just have a seat up here. Uh, just a, a quick thing about uh, praying and healing. Um, we all understand that we pray for the sick, and, and then after that, it's up to God. Uh, we don't heal. We can't heal. God heals. Okay? So why doesn't God heal all the time? Well, you know I'm struggling with that. I'm still, I'm still looking through all of that. And until I'm persuaded of something one way or another, I'm just going to keep trusting God. Okay? What I know for sure is that uh, whatever, whatever disconnect I'm seeing here, it's not on God's end. It could be my understanding of things that needs to change, uh, that needs to become more perfect. I don't know. But one thing I do know is that, you know, in the middle of sickness, in the middle of suffering, I can draw closer to God in, in those times than I ever could in times of ease and, and times of comfort. Uh, things become quite a bit clearer, quite a bit more focused in those times, at least for me. Uh, and I have come to appreciate those times. Uh, I'm not going to ask for any. Uh, I'm not going to volunteer myself. But when they do come, I've learned to appreciate them uh, because of what I can learn, because of how I can grow through them. Amen. But the Bible does command us. It doesn't ask us. It doesn't suggest. It commands us to pray for the sick. Amen. The Bible claims... Uh, and I believe it to be true that we have power and authority over all the power of the enemy. Amen. Uh, there was a, uh, I'm, I'm reading a book here, almost done with it. Story of my life. Almost done with it. <laughs> Until I go to the next one. But uh, the author made an interesting point, and I'm still kind of chewing on it. You know, in Matthew 10... Uh, it says, uh, as you go, preach, saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And then it continues, pray for the sick. Is that what it says? No. It says, heal the sick. Pray for the lepers. That's not what it says. Cleanse the lepers. Raise the dead. Freely ye have received, freely give. Now again, I'm just throwing that out there for your consideration. Uh, but, I think we need to expect a whole lot more than we do. I think when we pray to the Lord our God, uh, we need to expect things to happen. There are reasons why we don't, and perhaps we'll touch on them at later points, but as we pray for Sister Karina right now, we need to expect that God's going to do something. Amen. Things are going to happen in the spiritual realm because we have uttered our voice in prayer. 
We have power, folks. We have spiritual authority. And it's high time we started exercising that. Amen. Practicing that. Praise God. If you haven't already, some of you already do. Amen. And I acknowledge that. Let's all stand. Those that will, those that believe God for uh, great things, if you would come and gather around. Amen. If you feel comfortable, lay a hand on her. In Jesus' name. Praise God. If anyone else needs a healing, now would be a great time to get prayed for. Praise God. Not a typical Sunday morning, but that's okay. All right. Folks, God's a healer. God answers prayer. But we can't just sit around and wait for Him to do something. God doesn't operate that way. He's waiting on us. When we start stepping out, God's going to meet us. Praise God. I think it's okay to get a little crazy, a little stupid, a little uh, insane with our faith. With our trust in God. Someone said a long time ago, the best fruit is on the very edge, the very end of the branch. And you've got to go out onto the very end of the branch to get it. Amen. Praise God. Well, I've taken up some of our precious time here, so now i got to get moving along. By way of review, I know we didn't uh, cover last week's lesson. Uh, if you want a copy of that, I could provide that to you. Uh, otherwise, we're just going to keep moving on. Amen. Uh, by way of review, I'm going to read this, uh, this clip it here. It's kind of a historical summary of uh, the, at least a portion of the 400 silent years leading up to the time of Christ. Uh, it says this, The years between the Old and New Testaments were a critical historical period significantly impacted by the actions of the Maccabean family and the Hasmodean dynasty that followed after them. If you don't remember those names, that's okay. Uh, we're just trying to get a bird's eye here today. These groups had a substantial influence on the region of Judea during the time Jesus lived on the earth. The books of the Maccabees found within the Jewish Apocrypha describe this period of history. Again, if you haven't read it, that's fine. 
At the conclusion of the Old Testament, the Jews were governed by the Persian Empire. However, the Persians would soon be conquered by the newly forged Greek Empire under Alexander the Great. When Alexander died unexpectedly in 323 B.C., his empire was divided among his three generals. Israel fell under the Seleucid Empire. The Seleucids took aggressive actions to make the Jews submit to their authority and adopt their culture. Judah Maccabee and his family refused to submit to Seleucid rule, and they led a revolt against the Seleucid Empire. Eventually, the Maccabean revolt caused the Seleucids to abandon Judea, which allowed the Jews to rule themselves under the Hasmodean dynasty. This dynasty of rulers in Israel lasted from 140 to 37 B.C., when the Romans removed the last Hasmodean king and installed Herod the Great, who ruled Israel as a Roman client state. During Jesus' lifetime, the Jews' expectation for the Messiah was someone like Judah Maccabee or King David. Their idealized Messiah would remove the Romans and rule Israel as an independent Jewish state. Even after Jesus' resurrection, His disciples continued to ask Him, Lord, wilt Thou at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? When Israel, I'm sorry, when Jesus entered Jerusalem, the people welcomed Him like their expected Messianic King. When Jesus failed to live up to their expectations, they handed Him over to be crucified. They expected Him to destroy the Romans instead, It seemed like he was being destroyed by them. The faith of the women who prepared the spices and the disciples on the road to Emmaus was shattered by Jesus' death because their faith was not in who Jesus was, but rather in who they expected him to be. I think that's a powerful distinction. Likewise, believers today sometimes also place faith in the Jesus they expect rather than the Jesus revealed in Scripture. Believers must avoid the various Jesuses that are idealized within any given culture and submit to the Lordship of the true Jesus Christ as revealed to us in Scripture. Amen. And that's true with anything. Any circumstance, any situation in our lives, we can start doubting, we can start questioning. I explained the whole healing thing. I have questions about that. But at the end of it all, we do not question Jesus Christ. We do not question the Word of God. Those are resolute. They're they're absolute. I do not have the authority to judge or to question Scripture. To judge or question God. I don't. And in moments of weakness, I may start feeling like I have a right to question. But I don't. He's the King of glory. He's the Lord God omnipotent. I cannot allow myself to get to the place where I am standing over Him in judgment. Amen. Day 1 Devotions. The women who journeyed to Jesus' tomb to anoint His body did not expect to find a resurrected Jesus. They expected to find a dead one. We tend to frame our theology and our Christian expectations based on our understanding based on what I can figure out, what does and does not make sense. Again, interestingly enough, my little segue into the healing thing uh, is a perfect example again. Uh, I I don't claim to understand all that perfectly. But I can't base my theology on my lack of understanding. I've got to base it in Scripture. I've got to base my, my Christian expectations. What do I expect from God? 
what should I expect from God? What should He expect from me? Those aren't based on my feelings or my interpretation of, of circumstances or situation. They're based in Scripture. That's where it's got to be based in, folks. It's based in Scripture. Tragedy can cripple us or it can grow us. It can reveal truth and birth new opportunities or it can bind us. Make sure we're framing our tragedies correctly. It's, it's a matter of perspective. One person can look at a, a, a tragedy as, this is, this is going to destroy me. I don't know how I'm going to get through this. Another person can go through the same exact thing and look at it very differently. What can I learn through this? How can I grow through this? This is going to make me better equipped to minister to someone else going through this. Same exact situation, entirely different frame of reference. Make sure we're framing our circumstances correctly. Day two, the disciples who were heading to Emmaus were departing Jerusalem because their faith in Messiah was broken. However, they had no idea that their Messiah was actually walking to Emmaus with them. They didn't have the first clue. The object of their hope that they thought was destroyed was standing right next to them. And they had no idea. How many times has that happened to us? The answer to a prayer, the answer to a situation was staring us right in the face. But we couldn't see it. All we could see was the tragedy. All we could see was the pain and the, what I'm going through right now. And please understand, I, I would never make light of anyone's suffering, anyone's circumstances. Uh, absolutely not. But at the same time, uh, perspective, folks. Perspective. How does this situation look from the eyes of God? God's allowing me to be here right now. God's allowing me to go through this right now. Why? There's got to be a reason. And because I trust God, and because I know that He loves me, I'm okay. Whatever's going to happen is going to happen. And I can walk through it confidently, even boldly, understanding that Jesus, even if I don't feel Him, is right next to me. Praise God. Hopelessness runs rampant in our society and more and more within the church, unfortunately. And people are looking for hope in every wrong place. Every single wrong place is where people are looking. That's their first shot. The world says drugs, alcohol, one-night stands, even suicide are the answer to hopelessness. Jesus stands in stark contrast to that and says, I'm your answer. I'm the answer. Which one are we going to believe? Even within the church, more and more, people will take the word of the doctor over Scripture. People will take the word of their psychiatrist over the word of God. I'm not saying don't, don't go to a doctor. But I'm saying there's a chain of command. There, there's who has the authority in my life? The doctor or Jesus Christ? Jesus Christ has the ultimate authority in my life. 
doctor tells me something that doesn't contradict Scripture, I'll consider it. He tells me something that contradicts Scripture, mm-mm. He wants me to get hypnotized? No. Absolutely not. Sorry. Not sorry. <clears throat> anyway, day three. The knowledge of God comes only by revelation. We can know about God. We can, we can read books about Him. We can do all that. But to know Him, that only comes by divine revelation. Revelation and understanding of God's Word in turn brings spiritual hunger and a desire for fellowship with both God and His people. Luke 24.32 says, And they said one to another, Did not our hearts burn within us while He talked with us by the way and while He opened to us the Scriptures? Amen. The closer we get to Jesus, the more we get into God's Word, the more we should feel that burning hunger, that passion, that desire for more within us. That ought not go away. It may ebb and flow. I mean, you know, feelings. But that shouldn't go away. Day 4. Luke 24, 35 says, They told what things were done in the way and how He was known of them in breaking of bread. Again, Jesus reveals Himself to those who will fellowship with Him in prayer and in study of His Word. Amen. Again, you can know all about God, but to know Him, you've got to spend time with Him. Allow Him to reveal Himself to you. Praise God. Luke 24, 37 says, They were terrified and affrighted, and supposed that they had seen a spirit. We ought not be frightened when God fulfills His promise to us. Amen. There are some things that God has promised us that we are excited about, that we're looking for. Amen. I'm looking forward to the rapture. I'm looking forward to an eternity with Jesus Christ. Praise God. That's one promise that I'm holding on to. I'm never letting that one go. But there are other promises that I'm not so excited about. I think it's worth taking the time to read a couple. Matthew 24, 4-13 says this, Jesus answered and said unto them, Take heed that no man deceive you. For many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. And ye shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that ye be not troubled. For all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nations shall rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and there shall be famines, and pestilences, and earthquakes in diverse places. All these are the beginning of sorrows. Then shall they deliver you up to be afflicted, and shall kill you, and ye shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake. And then shall many be offended, and shall betray one another, and shall hate one another, and many false prophets shall rise, and shall deceive many. And because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. But he that shall endure unto the end, the same shall be saved. That's a promise, folks. Not one I'm looking forward to. But it's a promise nonetheless. And I don't have to be terrified or frightened when it comes to pass. I don't. Whatever comes our way, folks, we can have peace that passes all understanding. Joy unspeakable and full of glory. Acts 14.22 says, Confirming the souls of the disciples and exhorting them to continue in the faith and that we must through much tribulation enter into the kingdom of God. 
Thank God for tribulation, right? If we can frame it properly, we can thank God for it. Day 5. Luke 24:46 says, He said unto them, Thus it is written, and thus it behooved Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day. Ninety-nine times out of a hundred, suffering will precede blessing. The suffering needs to come first. So understanding that, we can rejoice in our suffering because this too shall come to pass. Even though Jesus frequently told His disciples He would be killed and rise again, they completely missed it. Why? He told them straight up, I need to die. The third day I'm going to rise again. You'd think you'd you'd hear something like that. That's a pretty powerful statement for someone to make. How did they miss it? Their presuppositions. They couldn't process it. Their worldview was such that we read it earlier. They were expecting a general. They were expecting a king to free them from Roman rule. Yeah, 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 yeah. We just, we just want to know when we're going to be free. When are you going to deliver the kingdom again to Israel? They missed everything. Even though Jesus frequently told His disciples He would be killed, they completely missed it. They already knew who their Messiah would be. They didn't need Jesus to tell them. They already knew. But did they know? How many times do we do that? We know something. We're convinced of something. Until we're not. If we are convinced of something, let it be said of us that we're persuaded from the Scriptures that these things be true. And the best way to expose a lie, of course, is with the truth. Today's lesson will be found in Exodus chapter 12, starting with verse 21. Exodus chapter 12 and verse 21. Today, our topic is covered by the blood. Covered by the blood. Sister Rudy already gave us a message on this. Hopefully we can expound on it maybe a little bit in areas that weren't touched on. Amen. Exodus chapter 12, starting with verse 21. Then Moses called for all the elders of Israel and said unto them, Draw out and take you a lamb according to your families and kill the Passover. You shall take a bunch of hyssop and dip it in the blood that is in the basin and strike the lintel and the two side posts with the blood that is in the basin. None of you shall go out at the door of his house until the morning. For the Lord will pass through to smite the Egyptians. And when he seeth the blood upon the lintel and on the two side posts, the Lord will pass over the door and will not suffer the destroyer to come in unto your houses to smite you. And he shall observe this thing for an ordinance to thee and to thy sons forever. And it shall come to pass when ye be come to the land which the Lord will give you, according as he hath promised that ye shall keep this service. And it shall come to pass when your children shall say unto you, What mean ye by this service? That ye shall say, It is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover, who passed over the houses of the children of Israel in Egypt when he smote the Egyptians and delivered our houses. And the people bowed the head and worshipped. Amen. When California gold fever broke out, a man traveled west to strike it rich. He left his wife in New England with their son. As soon as he arrived and found gold, he was planning to send for them. 
A long time passed. He still had not struck gold, but he made enough money to send for them. His wife's heart leaped for joy. He took their son to, she took their son to New York, boarded a Pacific steamer, and sailed away to San Francisco. Took a little bit longer in those days. They had not been long at sea before the cry rang through the ship, Fire! Fire! Gunpowder was on board, and the captain knew the moment the fire reached the powder, every man, woman, and child would perish. The ship crew broke out the lifeboats, but the boats were too small. In a minute, the lifeboats were overcrowded. The last boat was just pushing away when the mother pled with them to take her and her boy. They replied, No, we have as many as we can hold. She begged and begged them so much until they finally agreed to take one more passenger. She held her son in her arms, gave him one last hug, kissed him, and dropped him over the burning ship into the lifeboat. This story was related uh, by Dwight L. Moody in one of his messages. And then he asked this, What would you say of that young man if he should speak contemptuously of such a mother? She went down to a watery grave to save her son. What would you think of that son if he joked about it, made light about it? People do that with Jesus Christ all the time. Well, D.L. Moody continues, shall we speak contemptuously of such a Savior? May God make us loyal to Christ. My friends, you will need Him one day. You will need Him when you come to cross the swellings of Jordan. You will need Him when you stand at the bar of God. May God forbid that when death draws nigh, it should find you making light of the precious blood of Christ. Amen and amen. The practice of Passover. Ecclesiastes 8.8 says this, There is no man that hath power over the Spirit to retain the Spirit, neither hath he power in the day of death. And there is no discharge in that war, Neither shall wickedness deliver those that are given to it. Now, I've, I'm probably not alone in this, but my thoughts about death and dying have changed over the years. As I've grown older, when I was a kid, pre-teens, teens, I understood the concept of death. I'd been to a funeral, I think, by that point. But I knew that it, would, it wouldn't come to me. I just, if you would have asked me, thinking back about my attitudes about death, if you would have asked me, I'd have been no way. I'll probably die sometime, but no time soon. I couldn't have, I couldn't have conceived of a world where I would have died young. I just, I couldn't, I couldn't fit it in here. It just wouldn't work. When I thought about death, it completely, it instantly went away. I didn't think about the afterlife. I didn't think about anything except living. As I grew a little bit older, got into my 20s, I started to realize that it was actually a possibility. And I started thinking about it. By that time, I was a Christian, so I thought about it a little bit 
from a different perspective at that point. But at that point, I was still, I don't want to die right now because i got so many things I want to do. I want to get married. I want to have kids. I want to raise a family. I want to do this. I want to do that. All these things I wanted to do. And the thought of dying was discomforting. It was not scary, but it was... It unnerved me. I was uncomfortable with it. Today... I'm actually looking forward to it, to going home. I've done everything I want to do. There's nothing left. Jesus has plans for me. I'm still here. I want to take care of those. But as far as I'm concerned, He can take me anytime He wants. I'm ready. It's not discomforting to me anymore. It's very comforting to me at this point. I'm ready. And uh, death doesn't scare me. Not even a little bit. The process of dying, I hope, is painless. (laughs) But, you know, I I, I don't know if we get to choose that. But I have to wonder, how would my thoughts be different if I were facing spiritual death? If I were cognizant of the fact that after death, after my my passing here, I was going to a place of everlasting torment. If I had that understanding, how would I feel about it? I've often thought... Being a prisoner on death row. They stay there for a long time. I think the average is like 15 years waiting to die. How would that feel? And then I have to wonder how they feel when at the last moment they're pardoned. What a relief that must be for them. This message, of course, is about the sacrifice of Jesus, that He spilled His blood in our place. This message is the Gospel. We've heard it a lot. We need to hear it a lot. This is the most powerful message in the entire world. Everything else that we preach and teach about, us moving on to perfection, us becoming Christ-like, us getting all of our needs met, none of that is possible except Jesus died for me. None of it. This had to have happened first. This is the Gospel message. The death burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And when He did that, He pardoned me. I was heading to everlasting destruction. I wasn't cognizant of the fact until 
Jesus found me. But that's where I was headed. No joke. And He saved me. He pardoned me. He forgave everything. Israel, at this time, was living in bondage to the Egyptians. Now, when we think of bondage, you know, I, I see, I see uh, reports every once in a while that, you know, uh, people in the United States are in economic bondage. They're slaves to their employer, uh, things like that. I don't think that really compares, though, to true slavery. Uh, certainly as we find in ancient times. Uh, slavery was not, I had to get up and go to work. I mean, that, that's, that's not slavery, folks. That's, that's a blessing. That's, that's, that's God's blessing. Amen. This is something else entirely. They were treated horribly. <laughs> it's not that just that they had to pay a lot for their health premium. They had no health premium. They had no health. They lived a very subsistence living. They had just enough to eat to keep working. And when they were used up, they were kicked aside to make room for somebody else who wasn't used up. Egypt is a type of slavery to sin. And they cried out to God for deliverance. Finally, God heard their cries. And He remembered the promise that He gave to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob. And He sent a deliverer. He sent Moses. He sent Aaron to effect their release. God sends judgment against the false gods of Egypt to convince Pharaoh, but to no avail. Pharaoh keeps refusing his heart continues to be hard until the final judgment, the Passover. A man of each Jewish household was to kill a young lamb or goat with no defects. Each family was to roast and eat the sacrifice. Any leftover meat was to be burned. They were to eat fully dressed with their sandals on and their walking sticks in their hands. They were to smear some of the lamb's blood on the top and sides of the doorpost of each home. Why? Exodus 12.13 gives us the answer. And the blood shall be to you for a token upon the houses where ye are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And the plague shall not be upon you to destroy you when I smite the land of Egypt. When the death angel arrived, all he would see is that blood. Or the lack of blood. That's all he was looking for. He sees the blood, he passes over. He doesn't see the blood, he slays the firstborn. They were to demonstrate obedient faith to the plan of God. Faith is always demonstrated by how we act, our actions. Yeah, I believe the death angel's coming. Yep, I believe the blood will take care of it. But I don't do anything. Well, you can state your belief all day long, as vehemently as you want, but the death angel's still coming for you. 
until you take action and apply the blood. Isaiah 9.6 says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God. That's a good one, this verse there. The Everlasting Father. There's another good one. The Prince of Peace. We can experience perfect peace today through Jesus Christ our Savior. To understand that a little bit better, let's look at another feast day. The Day of Atonement. The highest holy day on the Jewish calendar where the high priest offered a sacrifice for the sins of the people. That sacrifice reconciled the people to God. It rolled their sins forward another year. Judgment would not come for another year. Then the high priest released a goat into the wilderness symbolizing the carrying away of the sins of the people. The Hebrew word for peace is shalom, which means wholeness, completeness, a sense of permanence. In other words, Jesus took that which was broken, our relationship with Him, and He completely restored it. He made it whole again, complete again. And because of that, because He took care of everything, He paid the penalty for our sins. He restored our broken relationship with Him. And He changed our very nature to be like Him. Because of that, we can have perfect peace in our lives. We don't have to worry about anything. I don't care what comes into our lives. We don't have to fret, stew, worry, stress out. I know we do, but we don't have to. Some people think that's a fruit of the Spirit gift of worry. It's not, folks. If anything, that's a work of the flesh. We ought not be worried about anything. Be careful for nothing, the Bible says. Be full of care for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. Give that to Jesus Christ. And the Bible says the peace of God which passes all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Amen. We don't have to be worried about anything. The price of gas goes up. Yeah, that's unfortunate. I don't have to worry about it. All of this craziness out there, it's unfortunate. I would prefer something else. But I'm not worried about it. I'm not going to stress about it. Jesus is their answer, just like it was my answer. Amen. Jesus is the last, He's the only, best hope for this world. It's not government action. It's not passing another law, repealing another law, adding a constitutional amendment. Jesus Christ is the answer for this world's woes. Everything that's going on out there can be answered perfectly and completely if they, would, if they would just enter into a covenant relationship with our Savior. Amen. There is no greater peace to be had than the peace that Jesus brings through His atoning sacrifice. The Passover was never to be a one-time event, but it was to be celebrated annually. 
Exodus 12, 25 through 27 says this. We'll read it again. It shall come to pass, when ye be come to the land which the Lord will give you, according as he hath promised, that ye shall keep this service. And it shall come to pass, when your children shall say unto you, What mean ye by this service? That ye shall say, It is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover, who passed over the houses of the children of Israel in Egypt when he smote the Egyptians and delivered our houses. The people bowed the head and worshipped. Year after year, the sacrificial lambs were offered at Passover. Every year. It was supposed to happen anyway. It didn't happen every year. Year after year, on the Day of Atonement, the sins of the people were rolled ahead in anticipation of the arrival of Messiah. Amen. And this, this, folks, is what really got me hooked on Scripture. When I realized that all of this Old Testament stuff was a type and a shadow of New Testament realities... That blew my mind. I was, I was in all the way at that point. This is awesome. You mean he had this set up all the way back then? This is crazy. This is amazing. Anyway, they did that until one day John the Baptist declared this of, of one Jesus of Nazareth. Behold the Lamb of God, which takes away the sins of the world. All of Scripture points to the fact that from the very beginning, God set in motion a plan. Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. He had a plan in place whereby that destroyed relationship that Adam severed through his willful disobedience would one day be restored. That he would, God would reconcile himself unto us. Praise God. Us unto himself. All of Scripture points to the cross. Forward or back, it points to the cross. Is it important? You better believe it's important. The entire book is focused on that. It centers on that. The salvation of the lost. When Jesus Christ cried from the cross, it is finished. He was declaring an end to offering blood sacrifices for the sin of the people. We don't have to bring a blood sacrifice anymore to the high priest. We don't have to do that anymore. The one final sacrifice has been made. And there is no more sacrifice, folks. It has been made. The price has been paid. Hebrews 7.27 says, Who needeth not daily as those high priests to offer up sacrifice, first for his own sins and then for the people's. For this he did once. When he offered up himself, once and for all, once was all that was necessary. Although Passover had somber overtones, judgment of sin, rebellion, death, it was a time of rejoicing for the people. Why? Because God's judgment has passed over me. Folks, we can rejoice daily in the God of our salvation. If you have nothing else to rejoice about, rejoice that God loves you. He suffered on a cross and died for you. He saved you. God restored my relationship with Him. I couldn't have a relationship with Him before. There was a great gulf of sin betwixt Him and me. I couldn't pass it and God wouldn't. But He did. 
He did. He took care of it. Thank you, Jesus. And God has transformed my very nature from a child of wrath to a child of God. You know, we were talking uh, in our men's group yesterday about this topic, uh, dominion over sin. And um, something occurred to me on my way home. I was thinking about that. I have said, and I believed it, that before God, I was a slave of sin. I didn't have a choice. That's not technically true, though. I still had a choice. And let me, let me demonstrate that. Alcoholics. Addicted. Addicted to alcohol. They still stop drinking. No Holy Ghost. No power of God. They just made a choice. Now, their nature is still such that if they take a drop, they smell it, they're probably all the way back in. They're not delivered from it. But they make a choice daily to not give in to it. My grandpa, he, he was a heavy smoker. And one day, I was, I was in the army at the time, he took a puff and it, he said it felt like his lungs were closing up. He tried it again, same thing happened. He put the cigarette out, threw the rest of the pack away, and that was it. It's just like, that was it? It didn't seem like he was, no withdrawals, no personality change, nothing. He just decided, ah, this isn't for me anymore. I'd like to breathe, thank you. So, so even as a rank sinner, I can still make a choice. What Jesus does for me, though, is He transforms my nature. I'm not a sinner anymore. Sin has no power over me. Now I can choose to serve Jesus Christ. Now I can live in a manner that's pleasing to Him. As a sinner, I could not do that. I could be nice. I could be polite. But I couldn't live in a manner that pleased Him. That's not who I was. It's who I am today. Praise God. So, let me make that maybe a bit of correction there. They still have a choice. Free moral agency is an extremely powerful agency, folks. Very powerful. His blood produces freedom in our lives. The blood of Christ has destroyed the power of sin in our lives. Romans 7 is a rather depressing chapter, if I may be so frank. It tells us that neither the law of God nor our conscience can deliver us from the power of sin. It's still true. It bothers me, but it's still true. I much prefer Romans 8. I like Romans 8 better. We do struggle. The battle is real, but through the blood of Jesus we get victory. Amen. Romans 8, 1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. 
Every day the choice is mine. Speaking of free moral agency, how do I choose to walk today? How do I choose to respond to this circumstance? How do I choose to react to what this person said about me? How do I choose to react to that car that just pulled out in front of me? They're all choices that I need to make. Choices hopefully based in who I am. Every day the choice is mine. Am I going to choose to walk in the Spirit and not fulfill the lust of the flesh? Or am I going to walk in the flesh? As we live for Him and choose to walk in the Spirit day by day, week by week, month by month, year by year, the desire to sin in our lives will fade. There is pleasure in sin for a season. The Bible tells us that. It's true. Initially, it's a good time. Initially. But before you know it, almost every time before you know it, It's not so fun anymore. It exacts a price. But that desire fades. The things that I really struggled with a week into this, I don't even think about them anymore. They're just gone. Things I struggled with a year into it, I don't struggle with those anymore. Because I stopped feeding that. I made a choice. And you, you all have made choices in your lives to walk after the Spirit and not after the flesh. And as we do that, as we continue toward that, the desires of the flesh, they drop off. Not completely, not permanently. The enemy will bring the, you know, some of the things God has delivered me from, and I know He's delivered me from, the enemy still brings that up from time to time. He still tries to convince me you're not delivered. And in moments of weakness, it's possible for us to give in to that. To be deluded, to be to be persuaded by the lies of the enemy. And that is exactly right. That's a lie from the enemy. Scripture tells me, God has told me, I'm delivered. It, but it doesn't feel like it. I don't care. That's what I tell me. I'm not telling you that. I tell me that. I don't care what you feel like. That's what the Word of God says. This is what we're standing on. You can feel all you want. It doesn't matter to me. God God says this. So if you've been delivered from something, but it feels like you haven't, you have. The enemy is trying to lie to you. He's trying to get you to pick that back up. Don't do it. Do not do it. Submit yourself to God, resist the devil, and he will flee. Amen. The submission, though, comes first.
So we need to choose to walk in the Spirit every single day. The choice is ours. And it is a choice. You may not always feel like it. Sometimes you will. And then the choice is easy. I'm just loving God today. I feel His presence just as soon as I got up in the morning. That's easy. But when I'm feeling nothing, I'm a little bit under the weather, and I didn't get a lot of sleep last night. And now i got all this junk facing me first thing in the morning. Not as easy. But it's still my choice. And it's still a choice that I can very easily make. Again, if I keep things in perspective. Who am I living for? What am I living for? I'm not living for these momentary distractions, good or bad. I'm living for Jesus Christ. I'm living to serve Him, to please Him. And as, as, as best as I'm able, with the help of God, my decisions need to reflect that. My choices ought to reflect that. Amen. The atoning sacrifice of Jesus at Calvary makes all of this possible. The penalty and price of sin has been paid. That right there, folks, that would have been enough for me. If I didn't hear from Jesus again, that would have been enough for me. I would never have expected that to happen. He pardoned me. Now understand where I'm going with this. In addition to that, the relationship that was severed by sin is now made whole again. Not only did He pardon my sin, but He wants a relationship with me. He desires to spend time with me. I don't know if I've always understood the significance of that. But more and more, folks, I'm starting to see how how mind-blowing that really is. That He wants a relationship with me. That He will call me into a time of prayer because for no other reason that He just wants to spend time with me. How amazing is that? When you don't have any friends, when you're feeling lonely, and I've been there, Jesus is my friend. He's there anytime I need Him. In addition to these, God transformed my very nature to be like His. I'm not a sinner anymore. I'm a child of God. And I don't think we realize the importance of that, the, the, the significance of that all the time. My very nature has changed. I am a new creature in Him. A brand new creature. The person I was, was is dead, is gone. There is a new nature in me now. That's so awesome. On top of all of that, after all of this is done, good, bad, and indifferent, I'm going to go live with Him forever. 
in a place of perfect peace, perfect love, no suffering, no tears, no hunger, thirst. I don't have to get up and go to work. No aches and pains. Glorified bodies. All of you will be bald then. You'll be perfect. <laughs> Amen. What a hope that we have. This is why, folks, this is why we can have peace in any circumstance, any situation. What can affect me knowing that? What can get it under my skin knowing all of that? Maybe that's overly simplistic. Maybe that's not complicated enough for some. I don't know. But it's, it's pretty powerful to me. I like complex as much as the next guy. But Jesus took care of literally everything. Everything. He takes care of everything. I don't have to worry about anything. I can be at perfect peace no matter what. Amen. Aren't you thankful for a Savior that provides all of this for us? Praise God. We can be thankful. We can rejoice. We can worship every single day because of what Jesus did for us. Amen. Let's all stand. Lord Jesus, we are so thankful for your sacrifice at Calvary. All the way back to the book of Genesis, you had a plan in place. You had a plan in place for me. You had a plan in place for those present here today. In Genesis chapter 3, you saw us. You saw our need, our desperate need. And you did everything that you needed to do to take care of every single need that we had. And now Jesus... Now all of our needs are met in You. You've taken care of everything. Perfect peace is ours. Perfect love is ours. Joy unspeakable and full of glory is ours in this life and in the life to come. Thank You, Jesus, for all that You've done. Bless the remainder of our service, I pray, and these things we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Uh, we'll be back at a quarter till for our worship service.